I was reading recently about a man that won the gold medal in 1968 in Mexico City. His name was Gary Anderson, and he stood there at the line, and uh, he won the gold medal for the U.S. in the free rifle, three positions, with a score of 1157, hitting a bullseye 10.4 millimeters in diameter from 50 meters away, 116 out of 120 times. I mean, just an amazing accomplishment. I'm really bummed out because of the coronavirus. The Olympics aren't going to be here this year, and so we're going to miss out on all these sports that, uh, that we like. But just reading a little bit of his story uh, was just really amazing. He was in the Army, went on later to uh, kind of a short political career, but he continued for, the, for all of his life on uh, helping students learn how to shoot. And I'm telling you right now, I know that I could have never been a professional marksman, and the reason is is because I lose focus too easily. Can you imagine the kind of focus that it would take uh, to be able to hit that bullseye from that distance that many times uh, you know, in a row? is just an incredible accomplishment. Uh, this week I was sitting down, I went into my office, I sat down on my computer to send an email. So when I opened up my email account, I saw another email from someone that I was waiting, and so I read that email, I responded to that, and then that made me think of something I had to look up in order to respond to that email. So I Googled something, I Googled it, and then sent that with the email, and then you know from that I saw a notification come up on Facebook, so I checked my social media, what was going on with that, and got up, left the office, and never even sent the email that I'd gone in there for the first time uh, to do. Anybody with me on that? I mean, if that's you, you go into a room, you can't remember what you went in there for, but you start doing some other stuff, and then you walk out and you've forgotten to do. If that's you, just give me some raised hands emojis or something today. I mean, I, I feel like I lose focus so many times throughout the day. You know, we're just constantly bombarded with different images and ideas and things that we have to do. Have you ever walked into the room and just can't remember why in the world that you were there? I think part of it is that we're a very distracted people. Uh, screen time, if, on the new iPhones, they'll give you a report at the end of each week how much time you've been on your screens. Have you ever just been amazed at how much time you've spent on your screen? We're, we're just constantly looking at our screens. And, and on the screen, on our computers, on our phones, you have pop-up ads. You could think about something, you know, buying something on Amazon. And then when you open up social media, you'll see ads about things that you were thinking about. I mean, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it, it's freaking me out a little bit. Right, we've got the media, we have all kind of different things that are bombarding us all the time. And in chapter 3 of the book of Philippians, Paul calls us to focus. And with so many things in our hearts and minds, so many demands in our lives, it's going to be difficult for us. But I think what Paul challenges us to today is so timely for our lives. I actually want to begin in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Then we're going to go back and study the first part uh, of the chapter. But in verse 13, he said this, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 13, Paul says, there's one thing I do, and that one thing is in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Jesus. I remember when I was in Little League, my dad was my coach, and we were playing in the championship game, and we were playing for the Pee Wee Braves, and we had a, an incredible team, had this undefeated season, 
And what I remember about that particular game is that on the last out, we threw our gloves in the air. Everybody was so excited. And I ran over, and my dad, who was the coach, is standing on the sideline, and he's got his arms open. He embraced me. It was just this great moment. And then we had closing day ceremonies, and at the end of that, your whole team lined up on the, on the third baseline, and they would hand you that championship trophy. And I've joked before that we don't play for fellowship, we play to win because losing isn't fun. We all like to win. And what Paul is calling to our minds here is the image, the imagery of a race. And he says the one thing that he does is he presses toward the mark, and that mark is the upward call of God. In the Olympic Games, they uh, many times would call the, the winner, or when they would have games, they would call the winner up to be crowned by the, the emperor or the ruler. And Paul capitalizes on that imagery here when he says that at the end of the Christian life, there is this upward call of God. There is this moment when we will be rewarded for what we have done. And he says, that's the one thing that I do. The one thing that I do is I press toward that mark. I'm aiming for that mark. That is my singular focus in life is that upward call of God for the prize. But in order to do that one thing sandwiched in between those two statements, the one thing I do is to press toward the mark. There are two things that Paul mentions. He says in verse 13, forgetting those things that lie behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So forgetting what lies behind. And if you look in the verses prior to this, Paul is going to tell us exactly what he had to leave behind. I love watching the Olympics in the summer. And like I said earlier, they're canceled this year. So I've been thinking a little bit about it this week. And one of my favorite things to do is watch the track and field. I love to watch the 4 by 100 relay. The guys are running at such an incredible rate of speed. But just the transitions from each runner to the next, handing the baton off, and the one guy gets going, you know, he starts running, and, and they, they make the exchange. It's really so cool to see them watch, like, uh, to interact like that and work together like that. But I want you to imagine for a moment that you turn on the TV and you're watching some, some runners run a race, and everybody starts off at the starting block, and, and then the gun sounds, and they begin to run, and one of the runners, the entire race, is looking behind him. He's not looking at where he's going. He's not looking toward his teammate. He's not looking toward the goal. The entire time he's looking behind him. You wouldn't get very far. And Paul is saying in these, in these verses that he, the one thing he does is press toward the mark. But in order to do that, he's got to forget all the things that are behind him. He can't be having those things in his mind. In fact, that word forget, it means to put out of your mind. And Paul is simply saying we have to put those things out of our mind. We can't live our lives with our heads turned around looking at those things in our past. So let's look beginning in chapter 3 and verse 1 at some of the things that Paul left behind to pursue that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you look out for the dogs look out for the evildoers look out for those who mutilate the flesh for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of god and the glo and glory in christ jesus and put no confidence in the flesh and he'll continue we'll get to that in just a moment paul warns in verse two of these dogs and dogs at that time would have been scavengers they weren't like today where many people have dogs as, pe as pets 
although they did have them at the time. Most of them were just scavengers, and they would rummage through trash. They were opportunistic. They would find something. They would eat it to appease their belly. And Paul calls some people in the church dogs, and, and he's referring to people who were false teachers. And these false teachers were trying to infiltrate the church, and they were trying to add to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. In verse 3, you'll find Jesus talking there. And this was common for the Jewish people who were trying to understand the concept of grace. You see, the Bible teaches that we're all sinners and we need a Savior and that we need to be rescued from our sin by the grace of God. But what the Jewish people were trying to do and others were trying to do, they were trying to say, yeah, it, we need what Jesus did for us on the cross, but we need to add to that something else. And that's why Paul said at the end of verse 3 that we are those that put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, they weren't putting any confidence in the things that they could do. But these dogs, these evildoers, were trying to infiltrate the church and add to the gospel of Jesus Christ and say that, yeah, Jesus died for your sins, but you also need to be good in order to overcome the evil in your life. When I was in college, I've shared my story many times before, but I really struggled with faith and my whether or not I was going to believe in Jesus and the Bible and, and kind of went through this period of, of a couple of years where I was researching religion and, and all the while I was serving in church and actually preaching the word of God but in my mind I had doubts about it but what I found as, a, as I was researching is I started to begin to look at world religions what I found is that every man-made religion has a, a very similar concept and it is that we have messed up and that we need to do something to cover for our sin. And the reason that man-made religions do that is because that's the natural inclination that we feel as humans. For example, if I do something to offend my wife, if I say something that hurts her, well, then I need to do something to make it right. And man-made religion says that about God, that in order to be right with God, we need to do something to make up for the wrong that we had done. We have to do penance. Leslie and I were talking about this this week, that uh, we had heard someone that uh, was a part of a religion that was causing her to do certain things or making her do certain things to pay for her sins. And it was just this constant perpetual state of having to do something to make herself right with God. But the cross speaks a different word. You see, religion is constantly saying, well, you've got to do something in order to be right with God. You have to do more. But the cross doesn't say do more. The cross says it is done. Everything that's needed to cover for your sin, the work for your salvation was done in Jesus Christ. And before Paul met Jesus, Paul was one of those dogs. Paul was one of those evildoers who put his confidence in the flesh and the good deeds of his life. He was one of those people that was trying to earn his salvation. He was one of those who felt like he was right with God because of, of his education and because he tried to adhere to the law and he had confidence in the flesh and his works. But Paul met Jesus in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9 and his life changed forever. He gave up his religion for Jesus. And that's the first thing that Paul gave up. That's the first thing that Paul left behind was his religion. He gave up religion for a relationship with Jesus Christ. That same Paul who had been one of those who put confidence in the flesh, when he met Jesus, he wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 3, By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. 
No person is going to be made right with God by keeping the law. And in the following verses, notice that Paul says exactly that. In verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, in other words, if anyone else thinks that they're good enough to be right with God, if anyone else has a reason to brag for all the good deeds that they've done in their lives, he said, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. In other words, he tried to keep every single law that God had commanded. And then in verse uh, 8, or excuse me, verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul was saying, I had all of these things. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews among the Jewish people. I was spiritually the elite. I tried to keep all of the law of God. But notice Paul's declaration in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, all those things of his religious experience, all those religious things that he had to make claim and have confidence in the flesh, he said this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says, what was gain to me, all of my religious background, I counted loss when I met Jesus Christ. What's the most valuable thing that you possess? Is it your car? Is it your bank account? Is it some piece of jewelry? I heard the story of a, of a woman whose wealthy husband had passed away. He was a miserly man, and so he made his wife make a promise that when he passed away, that she would put all of his money into the casket with him so that he could take it with him when he died. And so uh, at the funeral, the family and friends gathered together, said their goodbyes, and then they gave uh, the wife a moment to be alone with her husband. And she was there for quite some time, and her family was noticing that she was doing something with her hands, and they were uh, assuming that she was putting the money in there as the husband had requested. And so she was done, and they closed the casket, and she came back and was reunited with her family and, and they asked her, they said, uh, uh, did you put the money in there as your husband requested? And she said, yeah, I sure did. I wrote him a check. <laughs> and I just thought that was a funny story. So anyway, uh, it made me think of though, what's the most valuable thing in our lives? What's the most valuable thing that you possess? And Paul was saying his religious background was one of his most valuable things because it gave him power. It gave him prestige and clout. But Paul says, compared to Christ, all of those things were simply rubbish. All the awards were useless. All the accolades and all the religiousness, all the money that he gained, all the notoriety and the power, all of the, the prestige that came with that past. Paul says, all of those things are completely worthless compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Paul had it all. I mean, at the time, he was a leader he was a part of the elite religious crowd and kind of the ruling class of his day. And when he directed, people did exactly what he said. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, when Stephen was stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that the men who stoned Stephen laid their coats at the feet of Paul, or Saul because they knew that he was the one who was approving of the death of Stephen. 
But all of those things to Paul were worthless. All of those things were things that he left behind. It's all rubbish. It's trash. Paul left behind his religion to follow after Jesus. I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to through the years that this is one of their biggest struggles about following Christ is they can't let go of their religion. They can't let go of the fact that mom and dad taught them a certain way and grace teaches them someone else. And these people who can't let go of religion, they, they constantly feel like they have to do something to be right with God. They have to do enough good or do enough religious deeds in order to justify themselves or make themselves right with God. And they live in this constant fear that they're not going to be holy enough when they stand before God one day. But notice in verse 9 what Paul says, And to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from keeping all of the, the Word of God and the law and all the religious uh, things that were required, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I love verse 9. Because Paul says, to be found in him. All of those other things are worthless. What he wants is to be found in Jesus. And notice, not being covered by his righteousness, but being covered by the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ. On any given day at our house, you can find Ellie pretty much almost every day playing with her friends and getting dirty. She has some good friends down the street, Ainsley and Cammie, and they will get outside, they'll ride bikes. Ellie loves to catch lizards. They love to, to paint. I mean, you name it, they do it. And oftentimes, Ellie will come home after playing outside and she's sweaty, her, her pants are dirty, her kneecaps are dirty because they've been out playing in the dirt and all these kind of things. And, and on that same day, you might find me if I've been working outside in the garage or I've been uh, doing some barbecue or whatever it may be. I'm just a nasty mess. My, my clothes are all dirty and sweaty and nasty but a few years ago I took Ellie on a date to take her to Disney on ice and I came home that day and changed and I put on really nice clothes I ironed a shirt I had some nice pants on and then Ellie came out and she was wearing this beautiful princess dress and I gave her some flowers and took her out on a, on a date those same two people are what I see juxtaposed in this verse you see there are two types of righteousness or clothing to cover our sin Paul says, our own that comes by trying to keep the law and doing right and the righteousness of God that's found in Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. When we try to dress ourselves in our own righteousness, our own righteous deeds, our, our own works of the flesh, we're reminded of what the Bible says. In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, Isaiah wrote that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. I brought something to, to illustrate it. I brought a rag that I'll use when I'm outside barbecuing. And this is one that I just use uh, to, to clean up on some spills and things like that. It's nasty. And this is exactly what the Bible says about our righteous deeds without Christ. And what Paul is saying in verse 9 is that he's covered not by these rags, not by these righteous deeds that from our standpoint seem so good, but in the eyes of a perfect and holy God are simply rubbish and dirty, filthy, polluted garments. Paul is simply saying that we can be covered by our own righteousness and be covered by garbage, or we can be covered by the righteousness that comes from God 
through faith in Jesus Christ. We can decide to be a hot, sweaty mess with our own righteous deeds or be covered by robes of the prince, robes of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I love verse 9 because he says, I, I want to be found in Christ, not covered by my own righteousness, but covered by his. Have you been covered by that righteousness? Are you still depending on your religious deeds? You see, Paul said, one thing I do, I press toward the mark, but I have to forget the things that are behind. And one of the things that he left behind was his religion. He gave up his religion for the all-surpassing value and the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ and to follow him. But he also gave up something else. Notice in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible my, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul says over and over again, I haven't arrived. I'm not where I need to be. I've talked before about my uh, team that I play basketball with, and inevitably what happens is sometimes a, a team will be playing and some guy will make a couple of shots and he'll get super overconfident and he'll start talking trash to some of our guys who are really good players. And I'm sitting there thinking like, dude, don't poke the bear. There's no need to be talking trash like that because inevitably those guys on my team will step up and start draining threes and start scoring on them, dunking and things like that. And I, I often think like you should have checked your pride at the door, man. And so many people have so much trouble leaving their pride behind. Our pride gets in the way so many times of us following Jesus as we should. But Paul says, I press toward the mark. The one thing I do is press toward the mark, but I've got to leave those things behind. I've got to leave my religion behind, but I also have to leave my pride behind. I have not arrived. I'm not where I need to be. I have to check my pride at the door so that I can follow Jesus Christ. Maybe if you've been around church any length of time, you've seen people that feel like in their Christian walk they've arrived. And I feel like that's such a dangerous place to be. They feel like they have all the knowledge. They know all the answers. They, they think that what they say should be counted as more important than someone else. And yeah, I'm a mature Christian, I, hear, I will hear them say. But really what I think we should say is I'm a maturing Christian. Because a mature, mature Christian, it, it implies that, yeah, we've arrived. We're, we're where I need to be. And I think that every follower of Jesus who is being changed and conformed into the image of Christ should constantly be growing, leaving our pride behind, never thinking that we've arrived, never thinking that we're, we're where we should be, but always pursuing Christ more and more in our lives. We should be becoming more and more like Jesus every day. None of us is, is where we need to be. None of us is exactly where we, we think that we should be in our lives, but we should be pursuing Christ and leaving our past behind, leaving our pride, leaving our religion, and following Jesus Christ. Paul left it all behind. He left his religion behind, and he left his pride behind. He said, I, I haven't arrived. I'm not saying that I've attained where I need to be, but I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And he gave all those things up, and he gave up fear and he found peace. He left behind his religion and found relationship with Christ. He gave up his prison of the law and good works. And he found freedom in the grace of Jesus Christ. And he gave up his filthy rags of righteousness. 
and is now clothed with the robes of righteousness that are found in Jesus Christ. And in verse 13, Paul says, I left it all behind. I leave it all behind and I strain toward what is ahead. And what's ahead is found in verse 14. Notice what he says. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Three things there. There's a goal, there's a prize, and there's a God waiting at the end for us. What Paul is saying to us is that we have to leave those other things behind and keep our eyes and our minds focused on the goal of our lives and focused on the prize and focused on Jesus. You may remember the story in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus told the parable of the talents and he gave to one, one servant five, another one two, another one uh, one. And, and those that had taken what the master had given then invested it and brought back with return. At the end of that, the master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. At the end of our lives, what our desire should be is that upward call toward God. That victorious call that, that says that we've lived the life that God has called us to live. And at the end of our lives, what I want to hear is not, Robbie, here are all your rewards, although God promises those things. What I want to hear from God is, well done, good and faithful servant. But you see, for many of us, before our feet ever touch the ground, before we've ever gotten out of bed, most of us are picking up our phones and looking for whether someone texted us overnight or to see if maybe the post that we made on social media the day before got a few more likes or a few more cares this week. Before we do anything, we're checking social media and our email and our messages. And before you know it, another day has gone by and we're sitting in the same spot that we were yesterday. We're not straining toward the mark. We're not straining toward the goal and the prize. We're, we're really wasting days, day after day. But Paul calls us to focus, to focus as he did. He said, this one thing I do, I press toward the mark. But in order to do that, he had to leave some things behind. He left behind his religion and his pride. And Paul issues that call to us to strain toward the mark. When I was a student at HBU, one of our resident assistants was named Salim Kayla. He had a great testimony of coming to faith in Christ after being a Muslim for his entire life. And he was sharing one time that he, he decided he was going to run a marathon. And he got to a certain mile marker. I forget what it was. And it was just too hard. I mean, it was just such a strenuous race. And so he quit. He couldn't do it. He didn't finish. But then he got married. And then he tried it again. He tried another marathon. And I can't remember if it was that year or maybe a couple of years after that. But I remember him sharing his story that on the second marathon, he came to that same wall during the run. And it was just as hard as it was the first time. But the second marathon, he finished. And the reason was is that he knew at the end of the finish line, at the end of the race, that his wife was waiting there to give him a hug. I love watching shows about people that uh, face difficult circumstances. They get stranded or they get shipwrecked or something like that. And when you watch their stories as they share their experience about being adrift at sea or being alone and being scared, the one thing for many of them that keeps them going is they said, I have my wife or my kids back home and I just knew that I had to get back to them. Well, for the Christian, at the end of this life, there is a goal. There is a prize at the end of this life. And there is a God who's waiting for us. 
And so as we run the race, Paul says, one thing we must focus on, we have to press toward the mark of that upward call of God, knowing that we're going to stand before him one day in judgment. But that's going to take all of us focusing on that one thing and pressing toward the mark of Jesus Christ. For some of us, we're living in our past. Some of you that are listening might be still living with your religious experience and saying, well, this is what it takes to be right with God. Paul said all those things are rubbish. All those good deeds are filthy rags. And I want to encourage you today, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, stop trying to put confidence in, in what you can do to be right with God. The work for salvation has already been done at the cross of Jesus. Jesus paid the price for your sins. And all you must do is place your faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross. And the Bible says that when we believe, God saves us and he clothes us in his righteousness. We truly do go from rags to the riches of the king and the riches of his grace. And maybe some of you have lost focus. Maybe even this time when we have some of us slowed down because of the coronavirus, we've lost focus and we've been binge watching things on Netflix when we should have been spending more time pursuing Christ. And, and there are people on the other side of this, this spectrum. This shutdown and slowdown has caused them to be more busy. And so because of the, the busyness of their lives and their job, they've lost focus on Jesus Christ. But we need to remember that at the end of this life, there is a goal. There is a prize. And there is a God. There's one who's waiting for us at the end. And what will he say of us? Will he say of us, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will we be looking behind and looking at our past and living in the past and sitting where we are and not pursuing Christ? Which one will it be for you? I want to pray today that God would help all of us to press on toward the mark of that high calling in Jesus Christ. That God would use us to even greater degree to follow after him, that we'd be able to focus our attention on Jesus Christ. And if today you have found yourself saying, yes, I'm, I'm not focused. I'm not saying one thing I do. I'm saying I've got 30 things to do. Maybe today just type in, Lord, help me to focus. Help me to press toward the mark. And, and if you'll do that, we'll join with you in prayer to pray over you that God will help you to focus on the prize and the goal and that upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us what it means to pursue after you. Lord, I'm, I'm guilty of not being focused. I, I miss the mark so many days because I, I'm so distracted by all the things that are in my life and all the things that are going on and responsibilities that I have. But Lord, help us to focus. Help me to focus on that pursuit, to follow you and to press toward the mark, to know that at the end of my life, I'm going to stand before you and give an account of my life. Lord, for those who are watching today that are still trusting in their religious experience to be right with you. I pray that today they would give up on all of that and trust completely in you as Paul did. Paul gave up on all of his religion and placed his faith in Christ and began a relationship with you. And maybe for others who are distracted, Lord, we ask that you would help us to focus on what's most important, to spend time with you and to pursue you and to share the hope of Jesus Christ with those around us. I fear, Lord, that, that we're missing out on opportunities because we're not focused enough on pursuing you and pressing toward the mark so that you'll save our lives. Well done, good and faithful servant. I pray that that's what we'll be, Lord, is that we'll be good and faithful servants, being obedient to you and faithful to you every moment of every day from this time forward. And we ask you to help us in that, Lord. We need your help. We confess that we're not strong enough on our own. 
But help us, Lord, to focus on you and press toward the mark. And we pray this to be done in Jesus' name. Amen.